Judaism is one of the oldest religious traditions in the world. In our many years, we as a people have developed an array of deep and rich spiritual practices. One of our most revered traditions is that of kvetching. (laughs) Kvetching comes from the Yiddish word that means to complain. So I will begin today by sharing this ancient tradition with all of you. (laughs) Hanukkah can be a confusing and frustrating time for Jews interacting in our predominantly non-Jewish culture. First, nobody knows how to spell it. I've seen it spelled at least 16 different ways, and those are just the ones that are considered correct. Second, there are the Hanukkah second sections at stores. At this time of year, one walks into most stores to be bombarded with Christmas songs, Christmas aisles filled with fake trees and lights and tinsel and tree ornaments galore. Everything from tasteful crystal snowflakes to llamas and Santa hats. Somewhere in this cacophony of red and green and white, if you search very diligently and have a little luck on your side, you will find a small section, probably set up as a display on the end cap of an aisle that has five things. Candles. Tacky, bent Hanukkiahs that are made of clay, plastic, or whatever metal is just stronger than tinfoil. Happy Hanukkah signs, Merry Christmas signs, and a mench on a bench for those Jews who are just a little bit jealous of the elf on the shelf. If you are unlucky, however, it will contain grape juice, matzah, and yartzeit candles to remember the passing of loved ones. Which brings me to my last point. Nobody knows what it's about. Ask folks, and you'll probably get one of two responses. First one, something about a miracle and oil and spinning tops and jelly donuts. Or number two, and by far the most popular of the responses, Jewish Christmas. All of these things can be frustrating, but none of them are unexpected, because we're not the majority religious tradition. But I'm here today to clear up at least the last problem uh, for the folks that are listening today. There's a meme that's making its way around social media that says this. Imagine that your cell phone has a 10% charge, but it lasts for eight days. (laughs) That's Hanukkah. Not quite. It would be more accurate if it said, imagine you're in the midst of an intra-faith civil war. You've just kicked the most powerful empire in the world out of your land, regained your religious freedom, rededicated your temple, and your phone has 10% charge, but lasts for seven days longer than planned. 
So here is your brief overview of the story. The Greek Empire had conquered Judea. At first, they tried to placate the people by allowing them to maintain their leadership and customs and religious practices. Then comes Antiochus IV. By the time that he rises to power, the Judeans had divided into two unequal camps. The largest were the Hellenized Jews. These folks had taken well to their conquerors, adopted the Greek language and customs, translated their holy writings into Greek, and some had moved into diaspora in other parts of the Greek empire. The other camp were the Judaizers, Hebrews, there are many names that are given, Jews. They remained in Judea, spoke Aramaic, kept the scriptures in Hebrew, and maintained their customs and traditions while eschewing those of the Greeks. They were the traditionalists. These two camps ended up in a full-blown civil war. The situation escalated when the Syrian Greeks decided to join the side of the Hellenistic Jews. This got Antiochus IV's attention, and he, unsurprisingly, took the side of the Hellenized Jews. He overthrew the leadership from the Judeans, looted and defiled the temple, and placed a statue of Zeus inside, and banned the traditional religious practices of the Jews. This move, as may be expected, was not well received by the traditionalists. Matityatu ben Yohanan, who was the high priest, along with his five sons, start a rebellion against Antiochus IV. One of Matityahu's sons, Judah, takes over after his father's death and leads successful campaigns against the Greeks, eventually recapturing Jerusalem and the temple. This earned him the name Judah HaMakabi, Judah the Hammer. The fighting continued for 23 more years before Shimon, Judah's brother, finally conquered the Greeks, who recognized Judea's autonomy. They rededicated, in Hebrew, Hanak, and thus Hanukkah, the temple. In the temple, there was a seven-branch candelabra called a menorah that was lit using special oil. And here we reach the miracle part. When they went to retrieve the oil, they found only enough for one day. They put the oil into the menorah. They lit it. It lasted eight days instead of just one. And by that time, they were able to obtain more of the special oil to keep it burning. So now you know the history and story of Hanukkah. There will be a test next Sunday, so come prepared. And for those of you that don't like history lessons in your sermons, please return to the beginning where we talked about kvetching. <laughs> and you can do so after the service. In all seriousness, though, Hanukkah is about so much more than celebrating the miracle of the unusually long-burning oil. It is about a people and their right to self-determination. It is about religious freedom. It's about the dangers of becoming assimilated to a culture that is oppressive 
and requires people to deny and change who they are in order to be accepted. It's about the ability of the few to challenge and overthrow the authority and norms of the, the powerful many. But let's go back to the miracle of the oil. When we look at the Jewish scriptures, they're filled with stories of huge miracles. Fire raining down from the heavens and waters turning into blood and the sea rising and parting for the Israelites to walk through on dry land. Grand visions and prophecy. They're exciting and they're flashy and in them, The presence of the divine comes crashing into the world of the mundane to shock people into awareness. But this miracle isn't like that. They find a day's worth of oil and they light it. They go about their day. Next day, it's still burning. And they think, huh, nice, still burning. And they go about their day. Third and fourth days, wow, That's unexpectedly long-burning. I wonder how long it can go. By the eighth day, it's obvious that something way outside of the norm is happening. It wasn't a huge phenomenon that shook people awake. To notice this miracle, they had to be paying attention, checking the level of the oil, noticing how much was gone and how much was left. And during this time of both celebrating victory and mourning years of war, those paying attention were shown that they were not alone. In this miracle, the divine wasn't shouting its arrival. It was whispering its presence. While this part, while this is part of my and all Jews' story, the lessons it teaches transcends the tradition and touches all of our modern modern lives and the current situation in which we find ourselves. We live in an empire that seeks to conquer the world and to shape it into its image. An empire that oppresses the weak and underprivileged, that sides with the rich and the powerful, that seeks to divide us into opposing camps that are too busy fighting each other to fight that empire. But we are called in this story not to assimilate, to not give up our values or ourselves in order to fit into the parameters and systems that the empire has put into place. It calls us to challenge these things, to be willing to put everything on the line in seeking justice, To remember that the few can conquer the many, though it may take years and much struggle. And if we are willing to give ourselves to seeking this transformation, then perhaps if we pay attention very closely, we will see the flame of the divine presence burning softly, whispering that it is dwelling amongst us giving us strength to stand for our values in dark and the darkness of our times, and also giving us hope that the light will break through 
and shatter that darkness. Amen.